Listening to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? On Alternating Weeks with Phenomenal Woman, hosted also by yours truly. In previous times, Milo Lomestown was here with me, the charming and enduring hobbit, but he is off on other adventures for a while, so it's just going to be me, but I'm very excited to be here and uh, to be spending time with you. Hello, and Michael Bonin, and welcome to anyone who might be listening here in Orange County or through the internet. I believe that Syl is listening from way back east. Hi, Syl. Hope things are going well with your paper. And uh, anyone else also who might be listening from Torque, my favorite Tolkien message board, theonering.com. And if you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at askanelf at yahoo.com. So, in case you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. Well, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Things the elves care deeply about. Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this, quest, on, this, on this program, when challenges in life arise, as they often do, or as the wizard Gandalf said to Frodo, questions, questions that need answering, I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And who was Arwen, you may be wondering, in J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, a beloved daughter of the universe like all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. In her we see embodied courage, wisdom, beauty, a sense of humor and gaiety, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So I hope that by tuning in, you are um, inspired to find your creative gift. Maybe you're already doing that, 
But uh, that spark of creative genius in you and bringing it into the world in some way, perhaps it's just making lovely lunches, you know, for your kids or a beautiful dinner for your sweetheart. Or maybe it's, um, and maybe you're an architect or maybe you're a musician or maybe you are a Cub Scout leader. There are very many ways for us to manifest our creativity in the world and to enrich the lives of others and to enrich the world by it. So Tolkien was an amazing person. I've been doing my, um, enjoying my little experiment, which started as an experiment a little over 10 years ago of my life as an elf, where I asked the question, if I lived like an elf, would my life be any better, any worse, any different at all? And it has been transformed on many levels. So, um... This is a show where we celebrate and the works of J.R.R. Tolkien in all of their wonderful manifestations in the world and are excited about the movie, the movies coming up uh, next December. The Hobbit movies will be hitting the big screen. And uh, in the meantime, there are wonderful things to enjoy. I do so miss my Hobbit co-host because he was always so good about the details of things and uh and I, you know, being more of the elvish nature, of course, uh, tend to get uh, distracted by starlight and gazing at flowers. And I've been spending a great deal of time on my patio with a, there's a, just a charming little hummingbird that's sitting out there on her nest. And she allows me to sit close by and just gaze at her <laughs> uh, when I probably uh, might be doing more research. But such is life, and such is life for an elf. We do so love uh, nature, and uh, it's a good thing to be distracted by beauty and nature. So today I wanted to share with you, this is April 2012, and it's April 17th, 2012. And I don't know what's going on with the Hobbit movies. Now that the um, Hobbit is not here with me in studio, um... I've kind of reverted back to my former position of just waiting till the movies come out and enjoying them with no spoilers, even though I greatly loved the trailer that came out last December. It was just two minutes, just enough to whet my appetite and let me see um, some of the wonderful things that Peter Jackson has in store for us. And of course, I love the music of Howard Shore. I never tire of the beautiful music that Howard Shore created for the world of Middle-earth. And I'm excited about more music that we'll have with the Hobbit movies. There will be two of them uh, coming out in December. But in the meantime, well, today I wanted to celebrate the, um, the month of poetry by reading uh, a beautiful poem by... J.R.R. Tolkien, and talking a little bit about the motivation for these uh, worlds that he created for us in wanting, wishing to create a mythology for his beloved England. And there's a beautiful uh, poem called Cortirian Among the Trees in one of the other works that not many people may be familiar with. A lot of people know about the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and even the Silmarillion, but there is a whole history of Middle-earth that J.R. Tolkien's son Christopher was um, gracious enough, I can never, never be grateful enough to him for bringing, for his work in bringing these works to um, to be available to those of us who love Middle-earth and just didn't get enough with um, the few other things that we had with the Lord of the Rings and even the Silmarillion. And, uh, but the Book of Lost Tales, there's part one and part two, and I tried to find somewhere online um, a recording of Cortirian Among the Trees, and I'm especially missing the Hobbit co-host today because he has that beautiful voice and would have done such a beautiful reading of Cortirian Among the Trees, but perhaps next year he'll be here with us. In the meantime, um, The Hobbit was very gracious and in, in the midst of his very busy schedule and adventures, sent me a, a little email um, to wish me a happy birthday, which was wonderful, but also 
to inf- let me know about something, which he said, oh, you probably know about this, but I hadn't known about it. Um, Fellowship, the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring, is back, and I'm so excited. It's um, running now through the end of June, and if you'd like information, if you live in the Southern California area and you like all things Middle Earth and you don't have a problem with parodies, because this kind of pokes fun at many of the things in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, and the characters, but you can tell it's done by people who love these works, and which is different than people who make fun of something when, when they're just making fun of it um, in a different way, when they don't love it. But this is a delightful... I got to see this uh, play when it first came out, <clears throat> which I don't actually remember. I'm not sure if it's here on the CD of when it originally... No, 2004... Yes, all th- songs 2004, and I got to see it up in um, Hollywood, and it was delightful, and apparently, um, because all of these characters and everything are now licensed to, I believe, Paul Sands and New Line, um, they had to stop doing <laughs> the play for a while, and but, you know, after weeding through years and years of red tape, they have now been able to bring the fellowship back, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring. And I'm very pleased to say it has a lot, it looks like almost uh, most of the original cast. Fellowship was directed by Joel McCrary. Uh, the book is by Kelly Holden and Joel McCrary. Music by Alan, Alan Alan Simpson, and it says, Lyrics by Everybody. So I have a CD of the original musical with the original cast recording. And just to give you a little taste of it, it's just charming. There's so many things that I love always to play. Gladriel explains it all. And I'm tempted to do that again, just in case those of you may not have heard it, and then to play a little song. In fact, I think I will do that. Um, again, the it's going to be playing... Every Friday night, they're calling it Fridays with Frodo at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., so two performances per evening. And it started last Friday, the 13th, and it goes through June 29th. So you can go to their website and get uh, information and get tickets. It says here, Fellowship is hilarious, musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring, the first volume of J.R.R. Tolkien's classic, Lord of the Rings. I'm reading this from their website. It says, in June of 2010, Fellowship won the award for Best Local Stage Production Small Theater at the 36th Annual Saturn Awards for its successful run at Gary Marshall's Falcon Theater in Burbank, California. It was also named LA Weekly's 2005 Musical of the Year and won Best Comedy Ensemble. Fellowship has been recognized by many papers in and around the LA area. And uh, let's see, it goes on to say, originally performed at the historic El Portal Forum Theater in North Hollywood, which is where I got to see it. Uh, Fellowship follows all the events from Tolkien's epic adventure into one with one big difference. This time, it's funny. <laughs> so here um, we're going to play. I'm going to play for you the a little bit from the um, the prologue, which many of us loved from the movie where Galadriel uh, kind of gives us the events of the Last Alliance of Men and Elves. But this is a little different version. This uh, excerpt from Fellowship, the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring, the original cast recording. And here is Galadriel explaining it all. This is KUCI in Irvine. The world is changing. I hear it in the trees. I feel it in the water. I smell it in the air. It began with the forging of the great rings. Three were given to the elves, immortal, wisest and fairest of all beings. By the by, I'm one of them, you know. One of the wisest, fairest, most intelligent of all beings. In fact, I am the queen of the wisest, the fairest, the most intelligent. Anywho, seven were given to the dwarves. They are little, swarthy people. 
unlike the elves, the wisest, fairest, the most intelligent, of which I am the queen. But I digress. Nine rings were given to the race of men, who above all else desire power. Unlike the elves, the wisest, the fairest, you know the drill. Now, within these rings was the power to rule each race. But they were all of them deceived. For in the depths of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the evil Sauron had forged one more ring, a master ring of great power, one ring to rule them all. But after a great battle, the ring was lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. Myth became a book. The book became a movie. And tonight, the movie becomes a musical! <laughs> and that was Galadriel Explains It All, an excerpt from the CD, the original cast recording of Fellowship, the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring. And these are very talented artists. Um, Let's see. I'll play a little, just a little taste more of, um, from It's a Hobbit Thing. Um, here's a little, little more excerpt from the CD so you can see how, how delightful this movie. Now when I wake up in the Shire, for I take up my attire, I go to see just what there is to eat. Gabber standing there, and I stammer and I stare when I see that she's prepared my favorite meat. Now when the meeting course is done, then the feasting has begun. And that was the original cast recording from Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, which is currently playing here in Southern California now through June 29th at uh, Tripany House, the Steve Allen Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in L.A., you can visit their website at fellowshipthemusical.com, fellowshipthemusical.com to find out information about performances, two performances every Friday night, and they have ticket information there as well. It is something not to be missed. It is hilarious. I laughed so hard, and it was great fun. I think I shall be having to get a little group together myself to go and see it again. So now we're going to try and gonna change gears a little bit. I am Tani Tanuvio, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? And this is the month of poetry. So we will be celebrating some of the poetry of J.R.R. Tolkien. And oh, how I wish I had a reading of by the professor of Cortirian Among the Trees... I will do my best today. Uh-oh, I did something to lose my place. <laughs> I love sticky notes, but not when they come off. Um, so, first let's hear the professor himself with a poem. The tale of Berin and Luthien weaves throughout all the tales of Middle-earth, and, of course, from the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, who is a tale which is so central to the tale of the Lord of the Rings and the ushering in of the Fourth Age. So it goes back to the tale Song of Berin and Luthien was the first uh, joining of Elf and Mortal. And there's a beautiful song that Aragorn sings in... Fellowship of the Ring, and we're going to hear the professor here reading from that part of the book that includes the Song of Berin and Luthien. Here is J.R.R. Tolkien. This is KUCI in Irvine. I will tell you the tale of Tinuviel, said Strider, in brief, for it is a long tale of which the end is not known. There are none now except Elrond that remember it aright as it was told of old. He was silent for some time, and then he began not to speak, but to chant softly. The leaves were long, the grass was green, 
The hemlock umbels dull and fair, and in the glade a light was seen of stars in shadow shimmering. Genuviel was dancing there the, to music of a pipe unseen. The light of stars was in her hair and in her raiment glimmering. There Beren came from mountains cold, and lost he wandered under leaves, and where the elven river rolled he walked alone and sorrowing. He peered between the hemlock leaves and saw in wonder flowers of gold upon her mantle and her sleeves and her hair like shadow following. Enchantment healed his weary feet that over hills were doomed to roam and forth he hastened strong and fleet and grasped at moonbeams glistening. Through woven woods and elven homes she lightly fled on dancing feet and left him lonely still to roam the silent forest listening. He heard there the flying sound of feet as light as linden leaves, or music welling underground in hidden hollows quavering. Now withered lay the hemlock sheaves, and one by one with sighing sound, whispering fell the beechen leaves in the wintry woodland wavering. He sought her ever wandering far, where leaves of years were thickly strewn, by light of moon and ray of star in frosty heavens shivering. Her mantle glinted in the moon as on a hilltop high and far she danced, and at her feet was strewn a mist of silver quivering. When winter passed she came again, and her song released the sudden spring, like rising lark and falling rain and melting water bubbling. He saw the elven flower spring about her feet and healed again. He longed by her to dance and sing upon the grass and troubling. Again she fled, but swift he came, Tinuviel, Tinuviel, he called her by her elvish name, and there she halted, listening. One moment stood she, and a spell his voice laid on her. Beren came, and doom fell on Tinuviel, that in his arms lay glistening. As Beren looked into her eyes within the shadow of her hair, the trembling starlight of the skies, he saw their mirrored shimmering. Tinuviel the elven fair, immortal maiden, elven wise, about him cast her shadowy hair and arms like silver glimmering. Long was the way that fate them bore o'er stony mountains cold and grey, through halls of iron and darkling door and woods of nightshade morrowless. The sundering seas between them lay, and yet at last they met once more. And long ago they passed away in the forest singing sorrowless. the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore from the Fellowship of the Ring from the Lord of the Rings movies. And that is the love song of Arwen and Aragorn. And you can find the tale, a part of the tale of Aragorn and Arwen in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings. And some people feel that there's not such, you know, what's the big deal about Arwen? She's not such a strong presence, but you know what? She really is. <laughs> Even though the tales are not about her, they're about hobbits and about the quest of the ring and uh, destroying the ring. But J.R.R. Tolkien himself commented on the importance of that love story. He says here in... Um, one of his uh, letters, in fact, this is um, the probably most famous letter that was written in late 1951 to Milton Waldman, uh, which a part of it is included in the first part of the uh, Silmarillion, but not the entire thing. You'll find the entire letter in the Humphrey Carpenter um, Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien that was edited by Humphrey Carpenter with the assistance of Christopher Tolkien, but it says here, um, 
Let's see. Even some whole inventions like the remarkable ants, oldest of living rational creatures, shepherds of the trees, are omitted. Since we now try to deal with, quote, ordinary life, springing up ever unquenched under the trample of the world of world policies and events, there are love stories touched in, or love in different modes wholly absent from The Hobbit. But the highest love story, that of Aragorn and Arwen, Elrond's daughter, is only alluded to as a known thing. It is told elsewhere in a short tale of Aragorn and Arwen Andomiel. And he says a little previous to that, um, inheriting, we are to see the overthrow of... Uh, we are to see the overthrow of the last incarnation of evil, the unmaking of the ring, the final departure of the elves, and the return in majesty of the true king to take over the dominion of men, inheriting all that can be tr transmitted of elfdom in his high marriage with Arwen, daughter of Elrond, as well as the lineal royalty of Numenor. So... Uh, we see that those tales are deeply woven into the mythology of Middle-earth. And regarding that, too, I wanted to read, oh, just uh, that uh, where it's in this letter as well where he was asked, um, says, My dear Milton, you asked for a brief sketch of my stuff that is connected with my imaginary world. But regarding the mythology, he goes on to say, Do not laugh, but once upon a time, my crest has long since fallen, I had a mind to make a body of more or less connected legend, ranging from the large and cosmogonic to the level of romantic fairy story, the larger founded on the lesser in contact with the earth, the lesser drawing splendor from the vast backcloths, which I could dedicate simply to, to England, to my country. And um, in Humphrey Carpenter's biography of J.R.R. Tolkien, there's a wonderful um, little, I'm going to read a little excerpt here from the chapter called Lost Tales, from which the Corturian Among the Trees comes. And he says here, some have puzzled over the relation between Tolkien's stories and his Christianity, and have found it difficult to understand how a devout Roman Catholic could write which with such conviction about a world where God is not worshipped. But there is no mystery. The Silmarillion is the work of a profoundly religious man. It does not contradict con Christianity, but complements it. There is in the legends no worship of God, yet God is indeed there, more explicitly in the Silmarillion than in the work that grew out of it, the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien's universe is ruled over by God, the One, Beneath them in the hierarchy are the Valar, the guardians of the world who are not gods, but angelic powers, themselves holy and subject to God, and at one terrible moment in the story they surrender their power into his hands. Tolkien cast his mythology in this form because he wanted it to be remote and strange, and at the same time not to be a lie. He wanted the mythological and legendary stories to express his own moral view of the universe. And as a Christian, he could not place this view in a cosmos without the God that he worshipped. At the same time, to set his story realistically in the known world, where religious beliefs <clears throat> were explicitly Christian, would deprive them of imaginative color. So while God is president is present in Tolkien's universe, he remains unseen. When he wrote The Silmarillion, Tolkien believed that in one sense he was writing the truth. He did not suppose that precisely such peoples as he described, elves, dwarves, and malevolent orcs, had walked the earth and done the deeds that he recorded. But he did feel, or hope, that his stories were in some sense an embodiment of a profound truth. This is not to say that he was writing an allegory. Far from it. Time and again he expressed his distaste for that form of literature. Quote, I dislike allegory wherever I smell it, he once said. And similar phrases echo through his letters to readers of his books. So in what sense did he suppose the Silmarillion to be true? 
Something of the answer can be found in his essay on fairy stories and in his story Leaf by Niggle, both of which suggest that a man may be given by God the gift of recording, quote, a sudden glimpse of the underlying reality or truth. Certainly while writing The Silmarillion, Tolkien believed that he was doing more than inventing a story. He wrote of the tales that make up the book. <clears throat> they, quote, they arose in my mind as given things, and as they came separately, so too the links grew. An absorbing, though continually interrupted labor, especially even apart from the necessities of life, since the mind would wing to the other pole and spread itself on the linguistics. Yet always I had the sense of recording what was already there somewhere, not of inventing. That from Humphrey Carpenter's uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, A Biography. And now, oh, how I wish I had The Hobbit here to read Cortirian Among the Trees. I hope I shall do it some justice. I will read a little bit to you from the Cottage of Lost Play that talks about the story of Ariel the Mariner was central to my father's original conception of the mythology. This is written by, J by Christopher Tolkien. <clears throat> and um, in those days, as he recounted long after in a letter to his friend Milton Waldman, the primary intention of his work was to satisfy his desire for a specifically and recognizably English literature of fairy. Quote, I was from early days grieved by the poverty of my own beloved country. It had no stories of its own, bound up with its tongue and soil, not of the quality that I sought and found, as an ingredient, in legends of other lands. There was Greek and Celtic and Romance, Germanic, Scandinavian and Finnish, which greatly affected me, but nothing English, save impoverished chapbook stuff. In his earliest writings, the mythology was anchored in the ancient legendary history of England, and more than that, it was peculiarly associated with certain places in England. Ariel, himself close kin of famous figures in the legends of northwestern Europe, came at last on a voyage westward over the ocean to Tol Eresia, the lonely isle where elves dwelt, and from them he learned, quote, the lost tales of Elphiness. He goes on to say a little later, but what is important is that, according to the view that I have formed of the earliest conceptions, apparently the best explanation of the very difficult evidence, this was still the leading idea when it was written. Ariel came to Tolaresia from the lands to the east of the North Sea. He belongs to the period preceding the Anglo-Saxon invasions of Britain. Later, <clears throat> His name changed to Elfwine, Elfren, the Mariner, became an Englishman of the Anglo-Saxon period of English history who sailed west over sea to Tol Eresia. He sailed from England out into the Atlantic Ocean, and from this later conception comes the very remarkable story of Elfwine of England, which will be given at the end of the Lost Tales. But in the earliest conception, he was not an Englishman of England, England in the sense of the land of the English did not yet exist. For the cardinal fact, made quite explicit in extant notes, of this conception is that the elvish isle to which Ariel came was England. That is to say, Tol Eresia would become England, the land of the English, at the end of the story. Koromas, or Cortirian, the town in the center of Tol Eresia, to which Ariel comes in the cottage of Las Play, would become in after days Warwick, and the elements Cor and War were etymologically connected. Alal Minori, the land of elms, would be Warwickshire, and Tavrobel, where Ariel sojourned for a while in Tolaresia, would afterwards be the Staffordshire village of Great Haywood. <clears throat> it says in, uh, he goes on to say, in November 1915, my father wrote a poem entitled Quartirian Among the Trees, which was dedicated to Warwick. In the first, and perhaps I'm saying that wrong, I'm not sure if the W might be silent. To the first fair copy, copy of the poem, there is appended a prose inter introduction as follows. Quote, now on a time, the fairies dwelt in the lonely isle after the great wars with Melko and the ruin of Gondolin, and they builded a fair city amidmost of that island, and it was girt with trees. 
Now this city they called Cortirion, both in memory of their ancient coring, dwelling of Cor in Valinor, and because this city stood also upon a hill, and had a great tower tall and grey, that Ingal, son of Inwe, their lord, let rise. Very beautiful was Cortirion, and the fairies loved it, and it became rich in song and poesy in the light of laughter. But on a time the great fairing forth was made, and the fairies had rekindled once more the magic son of Valinor, but for the treason and faint hearts of men. But so it is that the magic sun is dead, and the lonely isle drawn back unto the confines of the great lands, and the fairies are scattered through all the wide, unfriendly pathways of the world. And now men dwell even on this faded isle, and care not or know not of its ancient days. Yet still there will be some of the Eldar and the Noldali of old who linger on the island, and their songs are heard among the shores of the land that once was the fairest dwelling of the immortal folk. So we see that Tolaresia gets brought back and joined to the northern lands and becomes England. And it says that with Tolaresia came elves and fairies. So, of course, they're there in England. Let's hear a little bit of music before we hear the beautiful poem of J.R.R. Tolkien's Cortirian Among the Trees. And I'm going to play for you the music of Howard Shore, an excerpt from the trailer for The Hobbit movies. This is KUCI in Irvine. Far over the misty mountains cold To dungeons deep and caverns old the pines were roaring on the height. The winds were moaning in the night. The fire was red, it flamed and spread. Like torches blazed with light. And that music from the dwarves, the song of the Misty Mountains Cold, and hopefully we'll be hearing that in its entirety when the movies come out. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI in Irvine and streaming live at KUCI.org. I am Tani Tanuviel the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. Today we are celebrating Poetry Month, April National Poetry Month, with some poetry by J.R. R. Tolkien. We heard some reading from the professor himself earlier. And now I am going to try <laughs> to bring you Cortirian Among the Trees from the Book of Lost Tales. And again, oh, how I wish... The Hobbit co-host was here to read this for you in his beautiful voice, but I will do what I can. This from J.R.R. Tolkien, and I am going to read... It was actually written originally in 1915. Yeah, the very earliest working is November 1915. And then there is a 1937 edition, and then there's another one that was almost a half a century later in which it's greatly rewritten. And I much prefer the earlier versions. And I'm going to read the text of the poem as J.R.R. Tolkien rewrote it. So I'm giving him, um, we like to honor the wishes of editors, and this would be his edited version from 1937. Quartirian Among the Trees O fading town upon an inland hill, Old shadows linger in thine ancient gate. Thy robe is gray, thine old heart now is still, Thy towers silent in the mist await. Their crumbling end while through the storied elms The gliding water leaves these inland realms And slips between the long meadows to the sea. Still bearing downward over murmurous falls, One day and then another to the sea. 
and slowly hither, many years have gone since first the elves here built Corterion. O climbing town upon thy windy hill, with winding streets and alleys shady-walled, where now untamed the peacocks pace in drill, majestic, sapphirine, and emerald. Amid the girdle of this sleeping land, where silver falls the rain and gleaming stand the whispering host of old deep-rooted trees that cast long shadows in many a bygone noon, and murmured many centuries in the breeze. Thou art the city of the land of elms, allow Minore in the fairy realms. Sing of thy trees, Cortirian again, the beech on hill, the willow in the fen. The rainy poplars and the frowning yews within thine aged courts that muse in somber splendor all the day. Until the twinkle of the early stars comes glinting through their sable bars, and the white moon climbing up the sky looks down upon the ghosts of trees that die, slowly and silently from day to day. O lonely isle, here was thy citadel, ere bannered summer from his fortress fell. Then full of music were thine elms, green was their armor, green their helms, the lords and kings of all thy trees. Sing then of elms, renowned Corterion, that under summer crowds their full sail on, and shrouded stand like masts of verdurous ships, a fleet of galleons that proudly slips across long sunlit seas. Thou art the inmost province of the fading isle, where linger yet the lonely companies. Still, undespairing, here they slowly file, along thy paths with solemn harmonies. The holy people of an elder day, immortal elves, that singing, fair and fay, of vanished things that were and could be yet. Pass like a wind among the rustling trees, a wave of bowing grass, and we forget their tender voices like wind-shaken bells of flowers, their gleaming hair like golden asphodels. Once spring was here with joy, and all was fair among the trees, but summer, drowsing by the stream, heard trembling in her heart the secret player pipe out beyond the tangle of her forest dream, the long-drawn tune that elvish voices made, foreseeing winter through the leafy glade. The late flowers nodding on the ruined walls, then stooping heard afar that haunting flute, beyond the sunny aisles and tree-propped halls, for thir, thin and clear and cold the note, as strand of silver glass remote. Then all thy trees, Cortirian, were bent, and shook with sudden whispering lament. For passing were the days, and doomed the nights, when, fleet, flitting, goth, when flitting ghost moths danced as satellites round tapers in the moveless air, and doomed already were the radiant dawns, the fingered sunlight drawn across the lawns. The odor and the slumbrous noise of meads, where all the sorrel flowers and plumed weeds go down before the scyther's share. When cool October robed her dewy furs in netted sheen of gold-shot gossamers, then the wide umbraged elms began to fail, their morning multitude of leaves grew pale. Seeing afar the icy spears of winter marching blue behind the sun of bright all hallows. Then their hour was done, and wanly borne on wings of amber pale, they beat the wide airs of the fading veil and flew like birds across the misty mirrors. This is the season dearest to the heart, and time most fitting to the ancient town, when waning music sweet that slow depart, winding with echoed sadness faintly down the paths of stranded mist. O oh, gentle time, when the late mornings are begemmed with rhyme, and early shadows fold the distant woods. The elves go silent by, their shining hair they cloak in twilight 
under secret hoods of gray and filmy purple, and long bands of frosted starlight sewn by silver hands. And oft they dance beneath the roofless sky, when naked elms entwine in branching lace. The seven stars, and through the boughs the eye, stares golden beaming in the round moon's face. O holy elves, and fair immortal folk, you sing then ancient songs that once awoke, under primeval stars before the dawn. You whirl then dancing with the eddying wind, as once you danced upon the shimmering lawn, in elven home before we were, before you crossed wide seas unto this mortal shore. Now are thy trees old gray quartarian, though through pallid mists seen rising tall and wan, like vessels floating vague and drifting far down opal seas beyond the shadowy bar of cloudy ports forlorn. Leaving behind forever havens loud, wherein their crews awhile held feasting proud, and lordly ease they now, like windy ghosts, are wafted by slow airs to windy coasts, and glimmering sadly down the tide are born. Bare are thy trees become, Cortirian, the rotted raiment from their bones is gone, the seven candles of the silver wane, like lighted tapers in a darkened fane, now flare above the fallen year. Though court and street now cold and empty lie, and elves dance seldom neath the barren sky, yet under the white moon there is a sound of buried music still beneath the ground. When winter comes, I would meet winter here. I would not seek the desert or red palaces where reigns the sun, nor sail to magic isles, nor climb the howery mountains' stony terraces and toiling faintly over windy miles. To my heart calls no distant bell that rings in crowded cities of the earthly kings, for here's is heart's ease still and deep content, though sadness haunt the land of withered elms. Allow Minori in the fairy realms, and making music still in sweet lament, the elves here holy and immortal dwell, and on the stones and trees there lies a spell. That is Cortirian Among the Trees from the Book of Lost Tales, Part 1 by J.R.R. Tolkien. A little gift in celebration of National Poetry Month from a master not only of Middle-earth, of creating languages and amazing adventures for us to enjoy, but also of poetry and art. There is an amazing book called um, J.R.R. Tolkien, Artist and Illustrator. I've been burying myself in it of late, practicing my elvish letters and um, drawing some of the devices of Middle-earth, the beautiful emblems of Luthien and of many, many of the Elvish folk. And if you have not ever become aware of the amazing art of J.R.R. Tolkien, you might want to check that out. It's called J.R.R. Tolkien Artist and Illustrator. And if you are a lover of the tales of Middle-earth and have always wondered about some of the the rest of this story, there is the um, entire tales of the history of Middle-earth. I believe it is, oh, sometimes I get mixed up on my details, but I believe it is 12 or 13 volumes now that has been edited by Christopher Tolkien. And um, some of the books have a list of them all in the front. This one was printed some time ago. It only has four, but I believe it is up to like 12 or 13 now. And that is just about going to wrap it up for when Tuesday, April 17th, What Would Arwen Do? I am Tani Tanuviel. I'd love to hear from you if you listen to the show, if you have any requests or interesting things to impart or ask about. You can send me an email at askanelf at yahoo.com. Again, a special thank you and hello and greetings to anyone who may be listening here in the Southland. We are broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine, 200 watts to most of Orange County, but you can always catch us through our website at KUCI.org or through iTunes, and you can listen to podcasts 
of this show and of most of the public affairs programming here at KUCI uh, through uh, our website. We have a little button called Archives. You can go down to Podcasts and find podcasts of the show, and they're also available through iTunes. So you can listen after the fact in case you miss the show. And please check out our public affairs programming and our music here at KUCI. We do not play any mainstream music. We are... Uh, ecstatic that there are people who have made it in the world of art and music and their uh, music is getting plenty of airtime on the airwaves. But we are here to share with you music that hasn't made it to um, from artists who haven't made it big and there are lots of artists out there making great music. So we have everything from reggae to folk to jazz to zydeco to indie to Asian music, Juiceberry, which is on right before this program, is amazing. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I hope you will take some time to tune in next week. And um, also just visit our website. It has all of our programming right there for you to check out. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. We're going to end the show today. I'll be back in two weeks with what would Arwen do here on KUCI, and I'll be back next week. Uh, celebrating the girls with Phenomenal Woman. But let's hear from, actually, a Phenomenal Woman, a dear friend of mine, Colette, Bar- uh, Colette Aubrey, singing Into the West. You can find her on the Internet at Colette Aubrey, C-O-L-E-T-T-E-A-U-B-R-E-Y, um, and her music and events that she's doing locally. But here's Colette singing Into the West Academy Award-winning music by Annie Lennox and Howard Shore. But Annie Lennox has made it big, and so I'm going to share with you, Colette. Namarie, until next week, Alin Salalomen Namentiavo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. I am Tani Tenuviel. I hope you are having a fabulous day. KUCI in Irvine. Oh, yeah.